Chapter 16. The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly As the towns along the way got smaller, the award-winning signs and their competition began to disappear. One small town had nothing more than a pub that doubled as a post office, a default winner for my patronage. However, the experience of this small town pub was in sharp contrast to the scones and jam of larger towns. Entering pubs in a small town felt like stepping into a spaghetti western movie. You've seen it before. There's the outsider, me, approaching a buzzing bar through a pair of swinging saloon doors. The patrons cease their chatter and lift their eyes from their hands of poker, or phones, and fix their silent gaze on the stranger coming through the doors with an almost practiced precision. Sure, my get-up, bulky backpacks, walking sticks, and possibly the result of not having a towel and not showering as frequently as I should have may have contributed to the unsolicited attention. But I think it was the close-knit quality of small towns where everyone knows everyone else that made me stand out. Off the main tourist routes, the strong social cohesion in small country towns was palpable. I could see how people talked to others at nearby tables, as if the table itself was being stretched by an invisible social bond that drew them together. I sat alone and listened to Morricone's iconic The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly soundtrack playing in my mind, and began to think about the good, bad, and ugly sides of small-town dynamics. What is good about small towns is the way communities rally around those in need. In larger towns and cities, it is easier to walk past, ignoring the misfortunes of those we don't know. The bad side is what I experienced, the us-and-them alienation. I attributed the patrons' reactions to the common dislike of the unfamiliar, and would like to believe that if I stayed longer, that I too might be chattering across tables, and that if I went to the pub in my full gear every time, perhaps I might be accepted and deemed the town eccentric. The ugly side is when ongoing coexistence leads to the further alienation of outsiders, or those who are not part of the small-town social bond, labeling them forever as an unwelcome stranger. You're probably already one step ahead of me on the similarities of this and what many experience in workplaces. Like many things, this is like a double-edged sword. A highly cohesive team reaps similar benefits of a small town, potentially leading to increased performance. But the same team might also suffer from stale ideas or lack the performance that comes from the input of new players who challenge the status quo. This challenge to both teams and organizations is highlighted in signpost 16. Strong cohesion can have the benefits and pitfalls of a small country town. As a workplace researcher, I'm a strong advocate for the use of social network analysis, SNA, the offspring of an unlikely collaboration between mathematicians, anthropologists, and sociologists that allows us to visualize and explore the threads of the social fabric holding together an organization. To properly define SNA is necessary to introduce more terms in need of further definitions. To avoid such a lengthy explanation, I'll explain SNA by way of an example. In a small organization or a country town, a SNA would validate the already known social structure understood by most good publicans. Who interacts with who and who doesn't? But as the organization grows, SNA can also reveal surprises, including biases about people's interactions. Since biases are part of the organizational culture, some organizations can be blind to them. To illustrate, SNA revealed a marked gender bias in one organization we studied. Women were underrepresented in exchanging ideas, below what we would have been expecting from the demographic split. 
we discovered the organization's employees were more inclined to discuss ideas with men than with women, including the women. In this situation, making the environment more social through the addition of places to connect and talk might not be the solution. As it turned out, women were overrepresented in social interactions, but were still excluded from some idea-exchanging conversations. This in itself is an interesting signpost, suggesting increased socialization does not guarantee involvement in organizational shaping activities. Signpost 17. Increasing opportunities to socialize might not result in a more inclusive environment. The need to understand the social fabric of organizations and the role that the environment plays in shaping it is increasing as the nature of work, whatever we will end up doing, becomes more human, ergo more social.